0: Welcome to the DrDavidMarlin.com Stable Science Podcast. I'm Dr David Marlin and along with a great team of experts I'm helping horse owners and riders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. In these podcasts we will discuss science-led research, technology, information and advice to help you care for your horses so they may live healthier, happier and longer lives. To support the podcast and all our research and science for horses, go to our website, www.drdavidmarlin.com, and to learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.
1: Life is full of what ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry?
2: Hello and welcome to this Dr David Marlin podcast and in this podcast I'm going to review a research paper for you. So my name is Dr Gillian Tabor and I'm a chartered physiotherapist and uh, so this paper that I've chosen is particularly of interest to me. So the title of the paper is The Effect of Manually Facilitated Flexion of the Thoracic Spine on the Interspinous Space Among Horses with Impinging Dorsal Spinous Processes of the Thoracic Vertebrae. Quite a long title there. The authors are O'Sullivan, McGowan, Junilla and Haye Tiernan. Now, the reason that this is of interest to me is that uh, Kathy McGowan, Dr. Kathy McGowan, is a vet who works at the University of Liverpool and her colleague, Haile Haye, I'm going to call her Heli. Um, she is a physiotherapist, and I believe that the first author is a student of the Veterinary Physiotherapy Programme at the University of Liverpool. So it's always nice when um, my sort of peers from the veterinary physiotherapy world have a paper published. Uh, it has been published in the Veterinary Journal and uh, just released recently, so it's a 2022 paper. So all papers start off with an introduction, and in the introduction, they describe the sort of background to the topic, uh, perhaps sort of highlighting some issues, some lack of research, uh, perhaps uh, giving you a greater understanding of where they are going with their thought processes and why this study was carried out. So the impingement for this paper Obviously, the topic is kissing spines, so they talk about impingement of dorsal spinous processes, saying that it is uh, very frequent, there are multifaceted causes, and actually it can cause a range of problems, so we all know horses with kissing spine usually present with behavioural change and poor performance, and then there are other signs, so uh, you know, back pain, apaxial muscle spasm, and uh, changes of range of motion, as well as muscle wastage, so the of those muscles either side of the spine they go on to talk about the diagnosis saying that it's common uh, kissing spines is more common between the 10th thoracic and the second lumbar vertebrae and they provide the classic range of references that those of you that have looked into this area will recognize so we've got some papers by Denoir, dyson turner zimmerman erickson jeffcott so um, they've used uh, the research that uh, a lot of us that have talked about kissing spines use and they talk a little bit about equine spinal movement there's not a huge amount of reference to biomechanical literature in this but then it is uh, an introduction so there will just be you know brevity to what they're talking about but they go on to say that actually within equine physiotherapy there is a technique which we facilitate a change of posture So uh, they describe it as the manually using pressure or scratching along the horse's sternum, which facilitates abdominal and hypaxial muscle contraction. And this results in thoracic flexion. And they term this the thoracic lift. So it's also known in um, physiotherapy as the sternum lift or the pectoral lift or the belly lift. So it's got a number of names, but these authors define it as the thoracic lift. The reason that they then talk about that is that they uh, discuss the fact that horses with this impinging DSP, so the kissing spines, often have this hollowed, dropped back posture, which is called a lordotic posture. And when the horses have uh, adopted this position, they actually reduce the spaces between their spinous processes uh, because in extension, they become closer together. They then go on to talk about the fact that uh, when you use, or when the vets use diagnostic imaging for horses' backs, their horses are often sedated, and they are in a position uh, they call it the spontaneous posture, which the horse will um, put themselves in for that. You know whether they're having an X-ray or an ultrasound scan or or a bone scan, so scintigraphy. And the authors then suggest that if you decrease this lordotic posture, so if you have a thoracic lift, you might actually change the spaces between the spinous processes. So they state the aims of their study was to ascertain if the space between the spinous processes was increased by facilitation of the thoracic flexion in horses diagnosed with impinging DSPs. Their hypothesis is that um, by doing this, it would increase the spinous process spaces, and therefore, uh, and this is I uh, when I read on to the discussion, this is a point that I had in my mind is that they say that maybe this will lower the grade of impingement and change the diagnostic and therapeutic approach. Now, I'm really, really interested in this because if we look at a horse that is uh, stood there with a person facilitating the thoracic lift and we're changing the spaces between the spinous uh, interspinous spaces Does that mean that we are affecting the kissing spines? Uh, It is obviously a transient position that we're putting them in. Um, And does that actually affect the diagnosis? So, if we leave them in their own position in that extended posture, is it a different grading to if we were lifting them up into that sort of more flexed position? And how does that change our therapeutic approach? So, the authors have alluded to the fact that they are considering that by manipulating the horse's posture, it's going to have an effect on the, inter, uh, the impingement of the dorsal spinous processes. And uh, this is, you know, their aims and their hypotheses. So um, it's quite nice when it's sort of stated quite clearly at the end of the introduction, um, but it, in my mind, raises more questions as to where are they going with it at this particular stage? So, the next section in the paper is the materials and methods and they state that the uh the study design was given ethical approval by the University of Helsinki and also by the University of Liverpool. Um, The actual study was carried out in the University of Helsinki in 2019. So it does take a few years for these papers to be written up and then submitted, go through the review process and then be published. Um, But, you know, you don't want to see ethics submitted in, say, 2009 and then only recently be submitted. You, You want that all to be sort of at a a relatively normal sort of time frame. So they used horses that had been presented to the equine hospital with back pain so they were undergoing a veterinary assessment and so it's um although it's an intervention study because they're doing the thoracic lift they are not either creating back pain in horses nor artificially recruiting them they are a convenient sample of horses that uh, turned up at the hospital with back pain interestingly they say that shetland ponies and miniature horses were excluded due to different conformation for horses i thought that was really interesting that they put that statement in there So each of the horses were positioned in a square position and they said that the mouth was kept level with the point of the horse's shoulder and this position was maintained during the x-rays that were taken of the back. This is really important because standardising the height of the horse's head means that they've taken out that variable factor of the head and neck position which influences the uh, spinous positions and the interspinous gaps that we know from previous papers. So the horses were sedated by the attending veterinarians and they had markers placed along the midline of the back so that they could then identify the vertebral levels. So the investigator stood next to the horse um, sort of underneath the beam of the radiograph and uh, so didn't get in the way of the pictures. And to start with, the horse had an x-ray taken at a baseline position and then either of the two investigators, so o- O'Sullivan or Helly, manually facilitated the thoracic flexion and they say by vigorously scratching along the sternum to produce lift of the thoracic cage, And this is often a a tricky and variable factor to include in these studies because how much pressure you put on and how much lift you get does vary on an individual basis. And there were two investigators that carried this out. However, they said that at the point of greatest postural change, so when the back was lifted up as much as it possibly could be, they instructed the radiographer to take the image. So basically they had two pictures, one with the horse in its sort of resting standing position and one with it in maximal flexion uh, after their performed or during performance of the thoracic lift. And then what is really good about this study is that the digital images were anonymised and that meant that the person actually taking the measurements didn't know whether the horse was in its resting position or whether it was during the thoracic flexion. And what they did is they looked at the six centimetres depth from the tips of the spinous processes and measured the gap between them. The rating scale that they used was modified from Zimmerman et al. 2012. So they were looking at spaces and the width of the spaces. So grade one was a spinous process, interspinous space of 3.9 to 3 millimetres. Grade two was 2.9 to 2. Grade three. Was 1.9 to 1 millimeter and grade 4 was less than 1 millimeter. And in the Zimmerman scale, uh, we've got grades 5, 6, and 7, but those relate to dorsal spinous processes that are contacted or they're sort of overlapping, uh, which means that there isn't an interspinous space. So those weren't um, able to be measured because there was no space basically. So each of the spinous processes were assessed and graded. They then actually took some conformational measurements of the horses. So they measured the length of the back, um, they measured the height of the withers and the body weight and the thoracic circumference. The only question I would say is when they Uh, Looked at the length of the spine. They measured from the first palpable um, spinous process in the withers. So they found it was T3, and then they said they measured that to the caudal angle of the last thoracic dorsal spinous process. However, they did not state how they found that. There is some confliction about how to find the last thoracic dorsal spinous process, but assuming that they had a standardized procedure, uh, then all horses would have been sort of under the same circumstances if you like so it would be slightly less important but hopefully that was done uh, following sort of a a standard operating um, procedure. Then at the end of the methods discusses how they analysed their data using the statistics and they mention that they are looking at the differences between the interspinous processes space when the horses were stood and when they were facilitated into their thoracic flexion position So on to the results then. And they had radiographs taken from seven horses with a mean age of 9.1 years. There were four geldings and three mares of various breeds. And in the results, they have an absolute wonderful example of a radiograph with the horse in its spontaneous resting position. And then the radiograph with the spinous process is actually showing the gaps between them when it was in that thoracic lift position. So it was a really good example of what they did. Um, and they found that uh, a lot of horses had multiple sites of impinging dorsal spinous processes, which isn't a surprise because they were obviously all presented for back pain. Uh, and they showed that they were able to change, uh, statistically change, the space between the spinous processes. They actually then went on to talk about the number of grade 1s and grade 2s and grade 3s and actually they had some horses that had higher grades. They were only able to measure back to the interspinous space between t17 and 18 so they didn't report on the lumbar regions at all um, but 90 uh, percent of the um, interspinous processes inter- <laughs> impinging dorsal spinous processes were reduced to a lower grade by the thoracic lift with 55 percent reduced to a normal grade and 18 of these were reduced by one grade and 33 percent by two grades and five percent by three grades after manual facilitation of the thoracic flexion so it's quite interesting they report on the changes in the spaces as in the sort of raw data uh, regarding the actual distances in millimeters but then um, significantly 90 percent were modified by that thoracic lift So the authors then go on to discuss their results and their main finding is that they highlight that interspinous spaces in horses with impinging DSP may not be fixed um, and that the baseline posture should be considered when imaging horses with a suspected interspinous um, sorry impinging DSP now what's interesting is the discussion related to that lordotic posture and you know, Is it a, a true impingement, i.e. a bony change, or is it actually from a functional or dysfunctional uh, horse that's got a poor posture? And that's actually, for me, the, the sort of main aspect of the study that I would take away from it. So it's important that authors discuss limitations of their study and recognise that uh, there are things that could have been done better or might have changed the results. And one of the main things that the authors point out is that there was a small sample size, which, you know, fair enough, they've only got seven horses. But from an ethical point of view and from a safety point of view of the actual physio doing the thoracic lift, is it would it be right to have more horses in the study? Well, possibly greater numbers may give you more confidence in the results. But actually, when you look at other studies relating to interventions and even the biomechanics studies in the equine research literature, uh, having horses sort of you know less than twelve is actually quite common. They talked about the dose of the sedation as well, which obviously varied for each horse, depending on the outcome and the response, um, which might have had an effect. And the other thing they mentioned as well, which I talked about earlier, is the standardisation of the head position being absolutely critical. One of the things that they did mention as well is that they didn't investigate pain or the clinical signs of their kissing spines. And so that might have affected the outcomes that they had. However, um, at the moment we are quite poor at grading that from either a functional point of view or even from a pain point of view. So I think that might have brought in more variables than they would have been able to control for. And uh, it's good that they acknowledge it. But um, in practice, we know that the uh, pain and the actual signs seen on the radiographs don't actually always match up. In some horses, you have really high levels of pain, but little change on the radiographs. In other horses, you have really significant change on the radiographs, but small amount of pain. And so, you know, that, that's a factor that needed to be noted. Um, but I don't, you know, I'm not concerned that they didn't actually have pain measurements as well. So one of the most important sentences that I found in the discussion, and the one that gives the most impact for me, certainly with regards to my equine physiotherapy practice, is that, that half the horses diagnosed with grades of impinging DSPs were found to have a grade zero impinging DSP following the facilitation. So the authors suggest that it's possible that the horses were not true, uh, did not have a true static impingement and it was more likely to be functional or due to poor posture. And this is really, really important. And uh, so the take home message for me with regards to this paper is that sometimes x-rays alone don't show everything. And we know that in terms of diagnosis that we need to know whether the uh kissing spines is actually clinically significant, so that's where the vets might suggest actually doing a nerve block you know the diagnose, diagnostic analgesia to find out whether the symptoms that you are having are related to the back specifically or whether they may be secondary, you know coming up from a hind limb or a lameness but the 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 fact that you can modify what the x rays look like by performing this thoracic lift is probably something that we could have all predicted, but we've now got the data to actually show that uh, this is the case. And so now I think we need more research, as ever, uh, to look into a more sort of dynamic assessment for kissing spines. And from a physiotherapy point of view, you know, can we measure function? Can we look at it in relation to the veterinary diagnostic imaging? And what does it mean in terms of our treatment and our rehabilitation? If we're thinking and we've got evidence to suggest that actually some of this impingement is caused by poor posture, Which, you know, anecdotally, I I was pretty confident of, but now I can uh, reference a paper that demonstrates this objectively. How do I use this information to change my therapeutic exercises, you know, my treatment? What am I going to do with this information with regards to the interventions that I apply to horses that have either been diagnosed or have suspected impingement of their dorsal spinous processes? So in conclusion, I think this is a really good study. I'm obviously uh, slightly biased because it has a few physios on the authorship, but it's really good to have this information out there. And as I said, this objective information, this paper that um, has gone out there and the authors have used x-rays and That is something that I always sort of want in practice, but I know that firstly is expensive and secondly, it's sort of not ethical to really uh, put every horse through diagnostic imaging if they don't actually need it. But thinking if they are at risk of impingement of their dorsal spinous process because of their posture then what can I do to help this? And then what can I do with my clients and their exercise programs and the training of their horses to try and maintain an optimal posture to try and prevent sort of dysfunction in the back region and therefore limit the risk of them getting impingement of their dorsal spinous processes. So as ever, if you've got any comments uh, or any questions questions please do share them um, either in the Facebook group or by email and we can carry on the discussion there. So I hope this was of interest to you and thank you very much for listening.
0: I hope you enjoyed this podcast and the stable science series if you want to learn more about this topic and our work head over to the drdavidmarlin.com website our website and community of members discuss a wide breadth of topics and the website houses thousands of articles webinars videos and research all designed to help horse owners riders trainers and breeders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses The drdavidmarlin.com site is an independent information resource for all equestrians, a source of unbiased, science-based research. To learn more about what we do and the hot topics under
2: discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.